Welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> this is, what was that? I don't know. Took me a second to get going. Change Sometimes I got to start the engine. Changing it up. <laughs> Welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We're <laughs> we're podcast. <laughs> Sometimes I think Woo. Thomas laughs like a puppet. I do you laugh like a puppet. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like that puppet yeah. laugh. Yeah. Uh, so we're we're a podcast about the classical world. <laughs> what is happening? I don't know. Falling we talk apart. we talk about old books, philosophy, and things and stuff. And we're happy you're here. My name is AJ Hindenburg. I'm joined by Thomas Magby. Hello. And Graham Donaldson. Hello. And before I did that scintillating open, I asked Graham what the topic of today's podcast was and what flowed forth was perhaps the most boring combination <laughs> of words that I could it's ever imagine was we are going to talk about banks, banks in the yeah. 1920s. <laughs> and No, 19, my eyes, 1910s. Oh, great. <laughs> so my eyes glazed over. And and then you hit record and started talking. And then I hit record and started talking. So this this <laughs> promises to be a monologue of an oh episode because geez, I'll be somewhere else. No, trust me. You're going to be involved. <laughs> no, actually, I think this is going to be really interesting. I am interested about how we became, a, you know, with the Reserve Bank. Oh, my word. Right? Um, so it's the Illuminati, right? It's the Illuminati. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's... Yeah, so this all starts at Ingolstadt in okay. uh, Germany. No. Um, so... People liked the episode we did. I did the last time with money about the different monetary eras. Who are these and people? Just, we got like two emails. My mom, that's my mom that's, liked yeah. it. Your mom liked it? Really? <laughs> she doesn't listen to the podcast. Oh, okay. My dad does, I think. My mom does. Um, Hi, mom. Did your dad like the episode? I don't think he's listened to that oh, one. Okay. He picked, my dad definitely picks and chooses episodes mm. he's interested in. Um, but anyway, so, uh, and I thought I'd do one more sort of like money episode. But since we're classical stuff, it needs to be at least 100 years old. You can't just do a recent one. So you have to go like back. You can't in time. be talking about what FDX or whatever. That's right. It is. You yeah. can't be talking yeah. about. You can't be talking about crypto. That's for the in betweens. Yeah, that is actually <laughs> can't talk about actually. Wall Street bets nope, or can't do that. No. So you need to go at least hundred years. So what we're going to be talking about is we're, we're going to be talking about the Panic of 1907, or as it's also known with a very early 20th century American word, the Knickerbocker Crisis. <laughs> I don't know why Knickerbocker sounds like something. Is from this the, similar to the panic right now when we're everyone's going and taking their money out of the bank? Yes, very similar. You just can't talk about the one. I right just can't now. talk about it right now. Actually, I don't know if it's similar because we'll know in a hundred years if it's similar. <laughs> uh, there <you> go. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so um, we so let's talk. Yeah, we're going to talk about this crisis and how it ultimately led into having a central bank in the United States. And I, you know, this is kind of an interesting and important thing. And our overseers and overlords that mm-hmm. own our currency. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about. Let's talk about banks. So the first thing you need to know about banks is you need to know about blood magic. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, so um, when America was founded, uh, there was always a big question. Should we have a central bank that is like the first bank of the United States, a bank for the government, or should we not? And there was big divide over this in the, in the founding fathers and in the first presidents. And on one side, it was, yes, we need a central bank. And I'm pretty sure Hamilton was on that side. Hamilton wanted the bank. And Jackson did not. Um, and so and so, sort of running in, in early America was a decision as to whether or not we should have a bank that is America's bank. Or we should let each individual state or city or district have their own little banks and have have everything be real decentralized. Or should we have it be centralized into one big bank? Um uh, when Jackson, I believe it was when Jackson was president, he we had a central bank, and he allowed its charter to um, uh, basically uh, uh, expire, and it didn't get renewed. And that was in like the 1830s. So from the 1830s up until 19, the 1910s, 
it was America was a free-for-all for banking. So let's talk a little bit about what that means. So the central business of a bank. Now, Thomas, I know you're sitting here rolling your eyes because these are easy slam-dunk layup questions for you uh, as a former banker. But what is the central business of a bank? How do banks make money? Screwing the little guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, take, they take in deposits yep. and then they make, uh, they make loans. That's right. So a bank has uh, – the, the old business was um, you, uh, you borrow at 3%, you lend at 6%, and you go golfing by noon. Like that was, the old, that was the old bank model. Super boring business, real easy. People deposit their money into your bank, and the way that you attract depositors is you pay them an interest. So give us all of your money, and we'll, make, we'll give you a 1% a year on your, on your deposits. People will be like, okay. And then they take all of those deposits, and then they use that as money to lend out for other ventures, and they can charge a higher interest than what they're paying out to the depositors. They keep the spread. That is the business of a bank. Pretty straightforward. It's actually a pretty great little business. Yes. Um, and it means that... Um, so the, the, uh, the bank needs to be the one that makes decisions of who is credit worthy and it is within the bank's uh, interest to give out more loans as opposed to fewer loans. Because if you give out, I guess, or is it less loans? Fewer. fewer loans, loans are accountable. Yes, right. So if you give out um, fewer loans, uh, if one goes bad, you take a major hit on your losses. But if you have a thousand loans and one goes bad, that's less of a hit for you. So banks have an incentive to loan out money. If, they're gonna, if banks are going to loan, they need to loan out a lot um, for them to be safer. And this is actually good, for, uh, you know, uh, this is good for a society that wants to finance things. If you want to go get, get a loan to go do something productive uh, and banks are, have this sort of built-in incentive to want to have more loans for the safety of their book, you know, this, this is a good thing. And you sort of shake hands and you agree on a rate. And you pay that back and you get the money to go and start your business. AJ can start his, um, you know, if AJ uh, realizes that he can sell his pottery uh, um, uh, in Alabama, uh, but he needs some startup capital to do it, but he knows there's a market for it. Well, if I lend him money and then he can buy a truck and then he can sell his pottery and make a ton and then pay me back, that is, that is basically AJ is being able to do something now as opposed to having to do something later in the future when he could pay for the truck out of his pocket. So credit and financing things is basically like taking future productivity and letting it happen now, but there's also that payoff. So AJ, you've got to make back, you've got to pay off that loan. So uh, anyway, so this was the original business of banks. They needed depositors, they needed to attract depositors, and then they would lend out money. And that, and that was how banks worked. And um, before we had any sort of central bank, um, the way that the banks in America would work is that they were generally independent from each other. Um, you could have really different kinds of interest rates based on wherever you were in the country. If you were more in a more agricultural place of the country, you could have interest rates that really would sort of follow the flow of the planting season. Um, if you were in a more industrial place, you could have interest rates that really followed like business cycles. So based on where these banks were located and who they were lending to, you, would, you could have a very sort of different um, uh, sort of interest rates around the world. So you could very easily be in a riskier part of America and have higher interest rates than in like a safer part of America, for example. And if you were a bank on the frontier, you were taking on greater risk 
with a potential greater reward than if you were a bank back in like Massachusetts or something. So, um, and, but, so because banks were sort of independent from each other, this also meant that when banks failed, if, you, if they took on bad risks or if there was a bad harvest, those bank failures could kind of be independent from each other. Um, so if you were living in small town Tennessee and um, your bank um, sent you a little letter, you went to your bank and you, and you said, I want to take out all of my money. And the bank says, we don't, don't have, have it. Yeah. Uh, we lent it all and those loans went bust and we don't have your money. Can we give you 20% of your money instead? And you come back later and you go, oh, dear. And you go home and you tell your friends that the bank doesn't have your money and they freak out. And the next morning, everyone lines up, tries to get their money. And the bank says, sorry, we don't have it. And the bank goes bankrupt and you lose your deposits. That could happen in your small town, Tennessee. And over in Missouri, it could be happy days. No one cares. Like the, their bank could be totally funded. Everything's fine. These things were kind of independent from each other. Um, but it also meant that that scenario that I just outlined where banks could go bust or banks could have a run on them was a pretty frequent in, in um, sort of later 19th century, early 20th century America. These banks could go bust and people wouldn't, you know, would not really have trust in them or as soon as, you know, word spread that this bank didn't have your money, you know, uh, it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everybody shows up and asking for their money. Now that bank can't do any loans, and so that bank is is, is skunked. So, do you have a part in here? Because there's also the side of there were banks during this time that would open knowing that they essentially fraudulently. Sure. So, oh yeah. And, and there yes, the wildcat banking where so like you're kind of presenting the the best case scenario mm -hmm. where they they open in these frontier towns and they're doing as many transactions as they can, and then oops, they accidentally run out of money. Will you also? During this time, banks are opening and issuing their own currencies mm -hmm. uh, and and don't have anything to back up said currency. And so they will move into a town, take in deposits, give out useless paper currency. And then when people try and withdraw everything, they, they skip town. Yeah. Right. And that's, yes. that's, that's, that's wildcat banking. Yes. You and you it. also, yeah. So you just yeah. also had massive, Fraud. massive frauds yeah. as well. Available to um, you. Yeah. And so this, and so, which didn't do much to help with the whole um, trust, trust the issue in the system. Right. So... You had sort of structural problems that could happen in a bank where they made out bad loans right. and, you know, everything else about them were well-intentioned, but these loans didn't pay out and so they went bust. And then you also had like fraudulent banks where they were just ripping you off yep. and there was no way of really discerning between the two except right. through, you know, trust. Right. Okay. Now we're going to come up to this. There was a, a harebrained scheme that two guys, actually three guys, two brothers and, and a dude uh, came up with. Uh, and they had a scheme to make some money. Let's make some money, boys. We're going to make some money. So these brothers, the brothers were named Augustus Hines and his brother Otto. So Augustus and Otto Hines and their buddy, Charles W. Morse. So Hines and Morse. Um, the Hines brothers, they owned a big copper company. So they owned a company that dug copper out of the ground. And they, so they owned a lot of this copper company. And they had a buddy named Charles Morse who um, was uh, – they were in sort of a banking business with. So um, Heinz and Otto, they um, had made a lot of money from their copper company and they had kind of turned their copper money into bigger financial products. So they had – they owned – it wasn't technically a bank. It was called a trust. 
Um, but they owned all these financial in, uh, these financial companies um, and their copper company. They were taking on deposits and lending money. They they had sort of uh, um, were with with Charles Morris. They had they were in sort of the banking world in New York City. Um, and what they wanted to do, so Otto, one of the brothers, had a plan. And he's like, listen, people, with the, the, the nation was kind of going in a little bit of an economic downturn. Um, there was a really big earthquake in California a couple of years before. And so a lot of money had actually left New York City to go to San Francisco to like rebuild San Francisco after the giant earthquake. Um, and things were kind of a little bit uh, like the, uh, an economic cycle was turning and things were kind of in recession. So, so times were tough um, economically. And everybody kind of realized that this was also going to hit the commodity world. When times are tough, no one's going out and starting. Um, no one, the, 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 Nobody the, wants buckets of copper. The demand for copper was pretty low. And people were pretty sure that, you know, the, the, the Heinz Copper Company was going to have some rough couple of quarters and they were going to be posting some losses. So they catch up. Uh, yeah, no, they do not. They do not pivot to ketchup. It's spelled differently. Yeah, I looked it up too. I was thinking, I was thinking the exact same thing. Um, I was they, hoping they I did not pivot to ketchup. I you wish. know, it's just as good um, as copper. Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but and so when this happened, um, the Heinz brothers realized that they that there was a lot of people who were uh, speculating short their company. Now, Mr. Magby, as the former banker, do you want to explain how shorting of a company works? Like normally with the stock, when you, you buy it, you want the price to go up, and then you sell it. Mm-hmm. So just reverse that, and that's shorting. So you sell a thing that you don't own, and then you buy it back in the future, and you hope that the price has gone down. That's right. So you go and you borrow a share of a company. So let's say you borrow a share from AJ, um, and you take that share and you sell it at the market price. So let's say you sell it for $15, and mm-hmm. you have $15 cash. Well, I mean, he's going to have to pay me a little bit to, to borrow my share. He, he so, is. He know. is. Yeah. And then that company goes down to $10 a share. And then Thomas goes back and takes that $15, buys a share for 10, gives the share back to AJ and has made five bucks. Mm-hmm. That's shorting. But to do it, you need to borrow a bunch of shares. Right. And I'm none the wiser because I've still got my share. You my still got your share. Plus a small yes. fee, yep. whatever, it's like 50 cents he gave me yep. for borrowing the whatever, share. I still whatever. got my share. Yeah. Yep. Okay. You got your share and you could demand your share back at times, depending on how the, the short is structured. Yep. Yeah. Sure. You could demand for your share to come back. Yep. But I trust um, Thomas. Thanks. Um, especially if the company went, you know, went gangbusters and went from $15 to $30, you may be like, I want my share back to sell, buddy. Right. And so, you know, you could demand your share back. So shorting is a little bit dangerous, but the Heinz brothers, they were like, listen, I'm pretty sure the auto came and he said, I've, I've crunched the numbers and everybody is short of our copper company. And so what we're going to do is we're going to squeeze them. And so they went to Charles Morse because Charles Morse had made some money squeezing and, sh- and, and cornering the ice market back in the day, Interesting. <laughs> which is a strange thing. Yep. So Charles Morse had done this exact, I wouldn't say it's a scheme, but had done this exact tactic and made some bank uh, sh- uh, uh, cornering the ice market. So they go to Charles and, and then they're like, we're pretty sure everybody's short and we're the majority shareholders of our copper company. And so here was their scheme. We are going to go onto the market, and we are going to buy as many shares of the copper company as we can find. Every single share that exists, we are going to buy. Doesn't matter what price it is, we're going to buy it. And that is going to drive the price up. And when that drives the price up, the people who are betting on the company going down are going to get real nervous, and they're going to uh, you know, clench their butts. And they're going to need to buy those shares. They're yes. going to need to buy those shares back to get out of their short. 
And the only people that will have shares that they can buy from will be us because we've bought the rest of the shares that exist and we can then name our price. This is the scheme and this is called a short squeeze. It's what happened with GameStop. It's what happened with GameStop. Last year? Last year? Uh, GameStop was a little bit different because they were doing it by weaponizing the options market, which is which is kind of different. But it's the same kind of it's mechanism. still kind of idea. Yeah. Right. Um, so, um, so Otto and so Charles and Augustus were like, are you sure, Otto, this is going to work? And I was like, yep, there, we, uh, there's not enough shares out there for all the shorts to buy, to cover, to get themselves out of this. You guys tracking? Yes. So... They did this. They went out and they bought every single share that they could get of the copper company. And the copper company obviously went up. It went from like, you know, I think. It, well, and it's their company anyway. And it's so their buying company. back shares is not a terrible idea anyway. Sure. I mean, you're using your own money to make, it's like you're using your own money to pump your share price. You're not actually coming out a winner. Unless it, the, the share price goes yeah, up so much that... But I mean, that if, if everyone's kind of short the, the company anyway, yeah. you're probably getting it at a discount, That's which right. means that you you know, you know have your own shares to sell when it goes back up. So it's not a terrible thing. It's not a terrible thing. Right? It's not a terrible thing. So anyway, so the company predictably goes up. It goes up in prices and, um, and the shorts start freaking out. But it turns out Auto made a mistake. There was actually plenty of shares out there for the shorts to buy back and cover. Bummer. And they did. Hard whoops. Yes. Yeah. Hard whoops indeed. Whoa, Otto. So I think the company went from like $40 to $60 on the initial squeeze, but then when all the shorts covered, I think in a couple of days it went to 10 bucks. Okay. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. yozers. So now the Heinz brothers and Charles Morse had all bought at, you know, $40, 42, 47, oh, 51, no. 56, 60, and then it went all the way bet down to 10. They were busted. Absolutely busted. Um, and the Heinz brothers, you know, with their copper company, they sort of lick their wounds and off they go. And um, I think Augustus Heinz like ends up dying in disgrace mm. somewhere. But Charles Morse um, needs to pay these debts. And the and he runs a, he has a bank. He uh, Wait, so he, because he, did he finance this whole affair? He, he was in on the scheme as well. Okay, um, so he's got to pay his debts. He's got to pay his debts, but he also is somebody whose core business is in taking on deposits and lending money like a bank, although he technically has a trust. Oh no, so does he use everybody's bank money? So he does. Ooh, um, so great. he goes and um, he needs to pay this off, and so he is taking, um, he's, trying to, he's trying to get money to pay off these, these, these bad bets that he's made, and he's taking depositors' money, and he's, you know, he's, he's trying and that's to, not money that's coming back. That's not money that's coming back. So he's trying to, if he can basically, like, pay this off, and if, if no one comes to the bank and is like, I want my money back, he can kind of wait for interest payments to start coming in from his good loans, and maybe he can kind of weather the storm. If he just has some money in the system that he can pay off these debts, but he's going to get interest payments. Like, the important thing to remember is, like, his banking business wasn't busted, but he personally was busted, and he's going to use his banking business to bail himself out. So then it is busted. So then right? it is busted, yes. yeah. At the point that you're using the depositor money, right? Yes, like, right. Well, it's not, it's not busted. It's just fraud. Yes. yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Um, so then he, so then... The business um, is fine. Totally different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so word gets out case. that... Morse has just lost a kit and caboodle with this whole copper thing. Ooh. And people show up the next day to their bank accounts and they say, I would like my deposits, please. And the bank would be like, nope, please hold. Yeah. <laughs> please hold. Gosh, that's scary. Um, and they would be standing in line and they'd be, they'd be, you know, they'd come back and be like, um, 
oh, it turns out like we've been moving money from point A to point B, so we don't have the full deposits to meet your needs. Will you take X percentage? And be like, okay, and take percentage and you go home and you tell your brother, I went to the bank and I could only take out 40% of my deposit. And your brother would be like, I have all of my money in that bank. Next morning, your brother goes and he does it. You get to the point where there is an absolute panic almost overnight that that, that company is underwater. His trust is, is done. And it was called Knickerbocker. So his Knickerbocker trust is done. They have no cash. They're not meaning depositors. Um, there is no juice left in the system to flow through it. But then an interesting thing started to happen. It was a, it was a banking contagion. And it happened- so just because his bank was under, they thought all the banks were under. Well, and in some cases, the other banks legitimately were because they had financial interest in the Knickerbocker trust. So when they go under, you're now taking a loss. And so when you're taking a loss- um, so let's say I was Knickerbocker and I'm under and AJ, you had invested and you have financial investments with me and some interest in me, but you run a trust and you know, Thomas is your, is your depositor. He comes up and he's like, Hey man, where's my money? And you, and let's say you have the money and you give Thomas all of his money. He says, thank you very much. But now you're down that deposit. Right. And if everybody comes and is down that deposit, you get this contagion. So you get it to the point where there were banks that weren't even involved in any way, shape or form in the ecosystem of Knickerbocker, who had people who were just so freaked out that they would come and demand their deposits. And the bank would be like, listen, we have your money, we can give it to you, but we in no way are involved or implicated or exposed to Knickerbocker. And people would be like, that's what a bank would say that is exposed. You know, like there was just no trust. And you had this, basically this mania of withdrawals happening. Even Which means banks can't function. Which means yeah. banks can function. So you would have a perfectly viable bank that has made wonderful loans, that is making uh, – the people are paying back those loans and they are willing to make other lo- wonderful loans that are going to do productive things. But when the depositors come and take out all their money, you've basically stopped the flow of capital through the bank and the bank seizes up and dies. Well, that – and they can't necessarily pay back all of the money because some of that's loaned out. That's right. Yeah. Right. Um, and because there was no – So they no, don't have all the money. There was no regulation saying how much of the depositors' money you needed to keep um, like liquid, on board. liquid the, uh, re- at the bank at the bank versus how much you could you could um, lend out. Do we have that now? We do yes. have that now. Yes. Sure. Oh, okay. Um, so I can always go demand like twenty percent or whatever it is. I don't you could, think you I, could, don't, I don't think it's that high, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So the, banks nowadays have to have um, a percentage of their depositors' money deposited at the Federal Reserve. Yeah. So it's a bank that has bank accounts of other banks. We'll get to that. Cool. Um, anyway, so this whole thing starts to seize up. People are taking money out of the system because they're like, hot dying boys, it's another bank run. And so people are getting their money out. Um, healthy banks are going under. Obviously, sick banks are going and under. And the smart play is shorting the banks. And the smart, you know, some people are, yeah, yeah speculation on this. And really what, um, especially for those healthy banks that really don't really have any business going under except that people have lost confidence in them. Basically, what you need is you need some kind of level of confidence. And the level of confidence would be your money is here if you need it. But we don't have anybody who can do that. Now, what, the way that the Knickerbocker crisis um, uh, fixed itself My boy. was Thomas's My boy, boy, J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan is himself. One, is this the one where he calls everyone into a room and yes. he's like, cut this out? Yeah. Okay. Do you want to tell the story? Well, is it the one? I don't know if this is the same crisis because he does this a few times. But so there's this, there's this beautiful Morgan mansion in, in uh, New York City. And so... 
if, 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 if this is the one that takes place there, he essentially invites all of the heads of these yeah, trusts. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same one. Oh, but actually, go, maybe it is, but tell it, because I think it well, is, actually. Well, the, the way this one goes, and again, it could be a different crisis, he invites all the heads of these different trusts and banks into a room, and he's like, we need to figure this out. Like, we have got to stop like all these problems going on and they're, they, they, they talk about it. They say, Oh, we, we didn't come to a conclusion and they're like, well, let's take a break. We'll come back tomorrow. And he goes, no, you're figuring this out right now. Locks the door. doesn't let anyone out of the room until they come up with the solution to this problem. I don't think it's the 1907. I'm not crisis. sure if it is, but that, but that definitely illustrates the kind of person JP Morgan yes, was that he would find solutions to yes. these problems. Now, and what the, and the solution that JP Morgan does is he takes his, <laughs> this sounds a little like the, our live Plucking a live chicken story with Stalin where it might <laughs> we not just made quite it up. be right, where we yeah. kind of made it up. Or are we going to get the J.P. Morgan fanboys, like, flaming our YouTube <laughs> yeah. channel, being like... I would love that. Um, actually... Where we have people who are like, why don't you give Stalin his due? It's yeah. like, no, I'm not giving Stalin his due. Weird uh, internet people. All right. But tell me what happened, um, what, what happened with so this So one? J.P. Morgan basically puts up his own fortune as the backstop uh-huh. for the crisis. And he puts his money into the good banks and basically... Puts out the press release saying, like, if you have your money in these banks, you're going to get your money back because I'm putting my money in there. And, of course, he himself is now taking, like, financial positions in these banks. And if these banks are successful, he's going to be successful and he's going to get a return. Turns out very well for J.P. Morgan. But, like, J.P. Morgan does this. uh, Rockefeller does this. um, uh, Who's the – is the – who are the the British – the Rothschilds are Mm. involved – um, Nathan Roth, no, Nathan's the dad. Who's the New York Rothschild? I can't remember. But anyway, they are involved in putting their money into um, into the banks to basically like calm everybody. And it works. And the crisis is averted and people are like, oh, I guess I can. If JP Morgan's going to, you know, back my $40 I have in my bank account, like, then I'm not going to have to go and take my money out. And these banks can now go. The farm and, is safe. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yes. lend that money. Yeah. <laughs> We don't need to sell the farm, Ma. Um, okay, but what this highlighted for people at the time, and you had, and the president at the time was was Teddy Roosevelt, who was no friend to big banking. I just want to say this was. The, can I read this from Wikipedia? Was it? Yeah, right, yeah go well, for let me it. just give you this. Morgan then met with the nation's leading financiers in his New York mansion, where he forced them to devise a plan to meet the crisis. Um, and then they, it goes on. Anyway, I just want so to say. So it wasn't a crisis? It was this crisis? one. Yeah, there you yeah. go. So, just, there you That's go. right. Yeah. Roosevelt, he's the president at the time. And Roosevelt is very famous for hating the trusts. He yeah. sort of have antitrust laws. Um, and and so now we there, there is a desire. Now there was like an, a great example of what happens when the banking, when an unregulated decentralized system goes wrong. You need like financier heroes to step in. And let's be honest, like, Morgan's not doing this because his heart bleeds red, white, and blue. It does, but he's doing this also because he is going to profit it from saving the banks. Later it's going to bleed green. Yeah, he's going to have – he's basically can negotiate sweetheart deals because he's buying real estate when the house is on fire, right? Like, this is is what he's doing. Um, And so – uh, they use this as exhibit A of we need maybe a – not a government organization, but we could use a central bank yes. that will be the bank of last resort that if this kind of thing happens, instead of going to and begging J.P. Morgan to put his money into it, we can go and have a bank that is basically the bank of the United States that can put money into these failing banks and restore trust to the system. And so then lo and behold uh, – um, uh, a charter for the Federal Reserve gets proposed, 
And then I think it's 1913 or 1911 or something like that, pretty soon thereafter, um, the, f- the first bank of the United States, the Federal Reserve Bank, gets put into existence. And um, they are not a private bank, but they're also not a government agency. They are kind of this weird hybrid between the two where they function like a bank, but AJ, you and I can't go and take a uh, – we can't go open an account at the Federal Reserve. You know Reserve. I always wondered? You can't do it. Really? Yeah. No. You need a charter. Um, and – but it's also not a government organization where it's not the, – the, the leaders of it are not, are not voted in. They are appointed by administrations and they themselves are not – like they, they are bankers. Like that's their – their job is, is – is to well, they actually have a. Is it owned by a, like a certain family? No, it's not no. owned by a family. It is. It is. It's a. It is something that is whose existence is allowed by the federal government with a special charter, and so they have powers that no other bank can do. They control the supply of money is one of their powers, and um, so there's no there's no single family that's like reaping all of no, the money. Correct. From no, correct. No, no. In no. fact, the family is the United States government, basically. Yeah. Oh, really? um, yeah. I always it, thought it was owned by a private mm-mm. family and they were sort of pulling all the strings. No, if the nope. Federal Reserve makes any money on their loans, it's money that goes to the federal government. Well, hot dog. Yeah. I feel a lot more comfortable about it now. now. So what the Federal Reserve um, – now, if, and how it works now is if you are a bank in the United States and you want to be a bank and loan money out – you need to follow some regulations. So some of the regulations, and Thomas, definitely feel free to correct me because I think I'm wrong on this. I think, I think I'm right on this, is banks need to have their own accounts set up at the Federal Reserve. So like Citibank and Bank of America and Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan, they all have their own bank account mm. at the Federal Reserve. And they need to have money in that account that is a percentage of their deposits. So they basically need to take, like, your money, AJ, from where, – where do you bank? Bank of America. So Bank of America needs to take some – a percentage of your AJ deposit and put it in the bank in the Federal Reserve Bank. And then they can loan out the rest. And whatever that ratio is, it changes all the time and regulations happen. But there's a ratio of how much reserves you need to have in the Federal Reserve. So, um, so banks need to do this. You can't be a bank otherwise. Now – I don't think credit unions have to do this. I was going to say, it depends on your charter yeah. and, and there are state charters versus national charters. That's what I was trying to look up right now, but this would be a national mm-hmm. charter, right? If mm-hmm. you're working with the federal yep. reserve. Yeah. So, um, and then, and then, so, and, and the federal reserve, they don't really go and they're, they're not going to go make loans to like me and you for getting a car. Like we can do that with the, with the bank, but they do make loans, but the federal reserve has famously um, called, they, they have sort of, What's called the dual mandate. Mm-hmm. So they have a fun- they have one or two things that the federal government wants the bank to be able to do, and the dual mandate is this: we want you to um, create, we want you to have as m- um, maximum employment in the United States. So one of your mandates is as many people in the United States can have a job or has uh, can get a job. And the other side of the dual mandate is we don't want prices of goods to go crazy up or crazy down in short periods of time. So price stability and maximum employment. This is the famous dual mandate of the Fed. Is that correct, Thomas? I, just would, I, 
um, on the maximum employment, it's not 100% yes, employment because there's some amount of, um, there's a name for it. I'm not remembering, but there's some amount of unemployment that's always expected to be had. You're mm-hmm. going to have your losers and wasters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. but, um, so, so there, there it is potential for there to be too low of unemployment Yes, or, or, uh, am I saying that the right way? Like you can have too much employment yep. and too much unemployment. Yes. So both of those are problems. So there's and some, by the way, I'm just kidding. You can be in like, poverty no. and not actually be a loser <laughs> or waster. Just yeah. so you know, Thank I was you. kidding. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that poverty is a thing you can fall into without being lazy. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Just want um, to clarify. So the Federal Reserve has basically they need they have to be able to keep the nation in balance in terms of employment and in terms of price stability. Yeah. And they only really have like one tool to do this. And that tool is that they can change interest rates. But they can't change like they change one. They can change one very specific kind of interest rate, which is very weird, and we're gonna talk about it. Um, but let's talk a little bit about, uh, I wonder if I can do this without being too complicated. All right. Um, I want to know where you're going with all this. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to explain why, why the Federal Reserve, what, 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 so what they do is they the can Illuminati. change an interest rate, uh-huh. but the interest rate they change is very like weird and esoteric. Uh-huh. And what it is, is they can change the overnight rate that banks have to pay on their deposits to each other. <laughs> the federal funds rate. Yes, yeah. the federal funds rate. So why does that make my car more expensive? Yeah, exactly. So, um, Basically, how that makes your car more expensive is... Wait, so what, what rate are they raising? So if two banks need to have a set amount of money in their bank account at the end of any business day, that is in, that's a ratio to their deposits and loans and all that okay, stuff. Okay, so I've got a bank and you've got a bank. So, and my bank... So AJ Bank, you make... Let's say today was a, just a great day for loaning out money and you made a ton of loans and you closed the deal on these things and you loaned out all this cash. But all that cash is out. All yeah, that cash so is out. More. But yeah. at the end of the day, you need to, and so that you don't run afoul of the Fed, you need to have a set amount of cash that, repre- that is representative of your depositors. So I can borrow that from you. You can borrow that from me. But I'm going to pay you for it. You're going to pay me for it. And that is called the overnight Fed fund rate. And so that's, that's the rate that they change. That's and it's the like rate the Fed's going to raise their interest rate. It's that interest that's rate. That's the interest rate. So the overnight rate is what they can what change. What if I don't make any loans and I've got the money in there already? I don't have to borrow from you anybody. You don't have to borrow from anybody. But other people can borrow from me. People can borrow from you and you're going to make money on that. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So now all the Federal Reserve can do is their interest rate is changing that number. So when you hear the Fed rose, raised interest rates from 5% to 5.25%, they, have ri- they, they raised that overnight bank lending rate. And the question is, could I, could we go under the table and I'm like, Hey, wink, wink. You cannot. I want, we are now I in jail. Yeah, we are now in jail. Yeah, don't do that. But um, I mean, I'm like, but if they don't find out, if they don't find out, then, then we're, then we can run for governor. I don't know. <laughs> but, but you wouldn't want that because you're making less money on me borrowing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So you're like, no, I want the, that that's one. right. Now, how does this influence anything else? Well, if you're a bank and you're now having to, um, let's say you're a bank that's going to need to borrow a lot of money from other banks and you're going to have to pay out the 5% overnight rate. Now, it's not 5% every night. It's 5% annual. Right. But just that's the annual rate overnight. Yeah. All of a sudden, your expenses as a bank have gone up. Your The rate that you're going to have to pay to borrow money has gone from like, a, you know, a tenth of a percent to what it is now, 5.25%. So you as a bank are now having to, um, the cost of borrowing money has gotten more expensive so that means that you are going to go and you are going to demand higher interest rates from your loans because you need to make your money back. So whereas before, you could maybe borrow money at, 20, at 0.2, 0.25% and lend it out at 3 
for your, for AJ, for Thomas's mortgage. Well, because you're now having to borrow money at 5%, you can't offer Thomas a 3% mortgage. You're going to offer Thomas a 7% mortgage. Right, because I'm going to be paying that out of, you know, That's annually. Right. Or you're going to be offering a 7% car loan. Or So basically, uh, in many ways, that overnight Fed fund rate is essentially the interest rate floor of America. And, because and banks have to make some sort of margin right. on top of that, so all the lending on top of it has yeah. to be higher than that floor. Now, it's not it's not technically correct to say that that is the floor of the interest rate in America, but it it kind of de facto is. Um, and so, I mean, you could probably go to some weird private institution that would lend you smaller if they have their own could, money and they're not running a bank. And you can go to your dad. Your dad's right. going to lend you money under the Fed, the interest rate. That right. I mean, they he, have. They have. <laughs> um, but in terms of like the national banking system, um, when the Fed raises interest rates, banks are going to raise their interest rates. Mortgages are going to get more expensive, and borrowing money is going to get harder. And so, if to, let's say Thomas really, well, let's say Thomas had a great idea for a business, a drive-through liquor store. Mm. Yeah. And he has a drive- Which we have in Texas, I know, by the way. That, that blew my mind. This is why I use it as an example, because it blows my mind that we have drive-through liquor stores in Texas. I'm like, that seems- You could also drink in the idea. car until like 15 years ago. Are true? you serious? Yeah. I, I, let me look up when they got rid of the law, Jeez, but it's recent, That seems short-sighted. All right. Anyway, so Thomas has an idea for a business. If interest rates are low and Thomas can borrow money- to like open a second um, uh, Magby Booze, Beezes Boozes, Beezes Boozes. I like that. That's good. So if Magby's gonna open up a second Beezes Boozes uh-huh. on like you know the highway or whatever, mm-hmm. um, he can either save his money and pay it out of pocket. That's gonna take a long time, or he or. can go and take out a loan. And if interest rates are low, Thomas can do that. And if he does that, Thomas is hiring people. He's and if. Did you find September it? September 1st, 2001. Oh, there you go. Wow. It's 20 years ago, Man. you could still drink in the car This in is Texas. what they've taken from us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they're never to take my freedom. Um, so Thomas can open a second Beezus Boozes, um, and he's employing people. He's buying products, so that means that the producers of that product are employing people. And Thomas can do this because he's borrowed money on a low interest rate. If interest rates are too high, Thomas may be like, heck man, I'm not opening a second Beezus Boozes. I'm just going to hold out, save some cash. And those potential employees of the second Beezus Boozes now don't have a job. So if you raise interest rates, um, you are, uh, you know, you can eventually um, sort of hurt uh, employment. Why would, so why would the Fed want to raise interest rates in the first place? Well, if, um, their other job is to stabilize prices of things. So if there's lots of money sloshing around out there, and Magby is like, Magby can borrow money at nearly 0%, and he's opening like 40 uh, beezes, boozes, and he, money is cheap and easy to get, and he is, you know, having to fill out all of these beezes, boozes with alcohol. Like, if there's a lot of money out there, over time, prices of things are going to go up. Um, so here's the analogy that I give. Let's say you're a freshman class, AJ. Every single one of those freshmen, through sheer luck, all won the lottery one year. Cool. And every single freshman's got like 800 grand a piece. And let's say that there is, you know, um, the Dr. Pepper machine downstairs. And um, um, there's like, uh, uh, there's only like a couple of cans of Dr. Pepper left. Um 
There's going to be a bidding war. There's going to be a bidding war. And those yeah. freshmen, they're not smart. They're going to pay like 50 bucks for Dr. Pepper because sure. what do they care? Uh, they got 800 grand out of nowhere. They yep. have like money that means nothing. So they're going to buy a $50 can of Dr. Pepper. Well, now the going price of Dr. Pepper is 50 bucks. That's, that's inflation. When you have lots of money, um, prices can go out of, out of whack. Also, if we didn't have any Dr. Pepper anymore, mm-hmm. we could have inflation because people really want that Dr. Pepper. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of money sloshing around in the world. Prices are going to go up. And the Federal Reserve doesn't want, don't want prices to go up because uh, that can create all sorts of social problems. So what they do is they raise interest rates, and that makes borrowing harder. And that means that Megby is not going to borrow as much money. Um, and that means eventually prices are going to settle down because the money is – there's not easy money anymore. But you do that for too long and then people aren't starting businesses. People aren't taking out loans. They're not going to school. They're not buying tractors. They're not buying cars. They're not buying cars. They're not doing things that are either consumptive or they're not doing things that are productive. And that is eventually going to hit employment. Um, you're eventually – Whoever was going to work at Bees' Boozes is now not going to work at Bees' Boozes, and their employment needs to be absorbed in the system somewhere else. And if they can't be absorbed in the system somewhere else, they're unemployed. And if that happens nationwide, then the unemployment numbers go up, and then the Federal Reserve says, crap, we got to lower interest rates and get yeah. some money flowing. So this another is— another example of how you might mm-hmm. come into poverty without being a waster or a loser. Exactly. Just to go back to so that. So the Federal Reserve has this, has this sort of mission— where they need to – basically, they have one tool, which is raising or lowering the – basically, the floor of interest rates for banks. Um, and uh, if, they, if they lower interest rates, it's kind of like pushing on the gas of the economy. And the hope is, is that the banks will take the hint and loan. And if they, and if they lo- raise the interest rates, kind of like putting the brakes on the economy, and hopefully the banks are also going to – uh, raise their interest rates, and there's going to be less loaning and less I mean, money out to, there. And then people don't want to get loans, just like they don't. That's like, right. I'm not going to buy a house at a 9% interest rate, yeah. but I would at a 3 So uh, anyway, so this, is, so this is the Federal Reserve. This is their mission, or this is basically their mandate. Do this. This is your social function. It's cool that they have like one big lever to shift the entire yeah. thing, like the fulcrum point. And it's, yeah. That's cool. And there's tons of debate as to whether or not their lever is an adequate tool right. to, to basically meet the mandate that they've been given. Maximum employment um, and pretty good. and stable interest rates. Um, we we have not had we have yeah. not had the 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 same level of financial crises. I know we had two thousand and eight and we've had uh, COVID, but we have not had the same and you know the dot com bubble. But we have not had the same kind of bank failure crises as you had every like seven years from like eighteen thirty six to nineteen oh seven. Like every couple of years, you just had banks blowing up and people losing all of their life savings and stuff. Yeah. Um, well, what about the FDIC? Does like don't they? Doesn't the federal government deposit. sort of guarantee that I can get my yes? Deposits and that's out? part of the charter of being as being a bank uh, mm. that you you. You pay money in. You hmm? you pay money in. You pay money pool. in, and then there is a certain amount of money that's guaranteed. I, I think it's two hundred fifty thousand dollars of deposits are guaranteed by the yeah. FDIC per depositor per account. Per uh, depositor uh, per uh, account. For yeah, um, you only get one account. Uh, but anyway, like if you're married, you can have two separate accounts plus a joint one. But that didn't start till nineteen thirty three. So it's a little bit after after all this. But now there's there's like sort of an un there is a de facto. Uh, insured deposits on everything because, like, no one wants. If the big five banks fail, the government is going to bail them out. Um, like, you, the government's not just going to 
bail out $250,000 of, of their deposits. You know, like, so anyway, it's, it's kind of this, um, yes, there are other problems with this in that it's, you know, the problem of being unregulated and decentralized created its whole host of problems of like people getting taken advantage of and tons of fraud right. and, um, and basically being the wild west and no trust in the system. And people thought money was this, you know, was this thing that was, that banks were these big criminals because many times they were. There are problems with a massively centralized system and um, uh, that we have now. We're not going to get into those problems. Maybe we can talk about them in the in-between if we, if we care about it. But there are definitely problems. And there are people whose whole political careers have been based on pointing out these problems and the, and the concerns that they have of it. But, I mean, basically all I wanted to do with today's episode is to talk about the sort of like historical thing that happened 100 years ago, creating this agency, this this bank that is um, sort of very central, not only to our lives, but if you remember from the last economics episode we did, because the world um, is so reliant on the amount of United States dollars that exist in the system, when the Federal Reserve makes decisions, it affects other countries. Like you and I don't sit here and say, oh man, I wonder what the central bank of the Netherlands is going to do right. with their gold holdings, no one cares. But um, what the Federal Reserve does to the amount of dollars in the system really has an effect on South Africa and the EU and everybody else who transact in dollars. Um, um, you know, material things happen to their, to their countries based on the Federal Reserve's decisions that they are only making just for the American um, economy. Of, of maximum employment. And um, so it's kind of this weird, it's this weird system. Um, and um, and it probably is one of these things that maybe my read of it as someone who didn't grow up in the United States is that um, there's a little bit of this, well, maybe we'll say, well, we'll say, maybe save this for the in-between, of, of sort of the, um, uh, that that system that is meant to solve a, a, a national problem probably ends up creating an international friction with other people that, that, uh, some international bitterness. Yeah. Some international, some international bitterness and maybe has inadvertently, um, um, kind of soured people to the U S sometimes because you've got, you know, this national instrument in the United States that makes decisions that affect Belgium or affect, you know, Slovakia. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was all I wanted to get through. Okay. Um, hopefully that wasn't too complicated. No, that's fine. It's, it's uh, oh, okay. I have a couple questions. You got to clear them up for me. So, question number one: Illuminati, yes or no? So probably in there. I mean, I did math in the Rothschilds, so there's got to be that's got to be in there somewhere. No, I'm just kidding. So no, probably not. They're probably not running the Fed. I don't think so. Okay, sorry. Is there? It's like there, a bunch of boring PhD people. No, like shadow agents. Mm. You know, shadow conglomerate that's running all the banks of the world? No blood magic. No blood um, magic? Well, there is the, the, the World Bank. I mean, there is, the, like, the International Monetary Fund. Um, they're not shadowy. <laughs> they have a conference. Right. Okay. That's <laughs> uh, just what they want you to think is they're out in the open. Um, okay. So no Illuminati. So no Illuminati. No, who's, yeah, you said that the, the national government reaps all the extra funds. And, so, uh, I mean, there, there, is, there can be some sort of gross incestuous things, right? Like, you could go from the private sector of running Goldman Sachs to being the chairman of the Federal Reserve to being in the government, to being the, 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 to going and being the uh, treasury person, right? Like, and or knowing all that stuff yeah. might give you a certain insight if you're like so going from private to public. During to 2008, when Lehman failed, but other banks didn't fail, 
Um, some people, so the chairman of the Federal Reserve at that point was Ben Bernanke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Ben Bernanke. And Ben Bernanke apparently had beef with Dick Fold, who was the head of Lehman Brothers. Ooh. And the the conspiracy theory is that Ben Bernanke allowed Lehman to go under and then bailed out the banks just to, like, stick it to uh, to Richard Fold. That's, like, the whispers and that's the, like, you know, the... Uh, the fun story. It's probably not true. And you know that guy's like filthy rich anyway. He's probably doing just fine. But he's also persona non grata dick fool these days. Um, But anyway, um, you know, there's fun things like that. I don't know if that's true. Maybe you you worked at JP. What did you hear? What was the word on the street? Nothing. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing interesting. You weren't inducted into some sort of... None none that I can talk about on a podcast. Blood magic? Yeah, I can't uh, talk about my... uh, the secret cult connections. I don't even know. Like Nothing. Illuminati tattoos. Yeah. Okay. That's what I wanted to know. Cause it's always been, you know, I've seen, I saw the documentary with air quotes. Zeitgeist, oh my word. Right? Yeah. That, thing, that thing's nuts. Talking about how the federal government now, like we, all our money is controlled by a private agency. Why and do it's you all watch a, this? What is, huh? what is this? It's 2am on YouTube. I was in college. You have to, yeah. you have a college. <laughs> I had yeah. some, I had some weird friends. Um, no, it's much more boring than that. Yes. Um, but it is something that does create, incentives or when you have like one when you have one job and you have one tool it can get into weird places like if all you can do is raise and lower interest rates and uh and we can get to weird places like negative interest rates which happened for a while yeah well i mean if if my job is hammer and nails and all i have is a hammer like every problem looks the same exactly i was just saying i have an easy job oh okay that's very straightforward (laughs) Use my hammer. But that's right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's that's uh, that's the Knickerbocker crisis and why the Federal Reserve exists. I was hoping the Knickerbocker, it sounds like a pants issue. It does sound like a pants issue. A lot of people lost their pants. but um, <laughs> And that's where we'll end. <laughs> so this is Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can reach us at theguysatclassicalstuff.net. That's our email. You could also check out our website, the guy, uh, classicalstuff.net. You can tweet at us, C- at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. I'm missing anything? I think that's everything, right? Pretty good. Yo, you can patronize us at patreon.com slash classical stuff and get tasty things like our in-between episodes, which we're about to record, and an AMA, which we are also about to record. So if you are frustrated that we didn't post, you know, there were two weeks where we didn't post at all, you can go on Patreon and there's a whole wealth of extra stuff that you can get for the low, low price of, what, 10 bucks? Two bucks? 10 bucks for all that. 10 bucks for all that stuff. So. 10 bucks and you can join the team and get a whole bunch of extra things. So anyway, this is Classical Stuff and we're done. We're out. It's over. 